Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, a show where we explore the world of sport, music, and business to deconstruct the tools and ethos of world-class performers that can create growth and optimize business. I'm Noel Allnut, the CEO of Securo, and today we're joined by Andrew May. Andrew May is recognized as one of the world's leading human performance strategists and leadership coaches. He's a best-selling author and in-demand keynote speaker. Andrew delivers evidence-based strategies so you can improve more, be more, and create long-lasting change. His personal philosophy is live, love, and lead. Building Resilience Podcast. Andrew Mayer, welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. Thanks for taking the time today. No, a pleasure. I'm normally interviewing other people like you, so I'm a bit nervous today being the interviewee. <laughs> Don't be nervous just because the mic's turned around on the other way. I'm sure it'll go just absolutely fine. Where I'd like to start, Andrew, today is the start. Could you talk to me about uh, how you started your, your career and that journey to getting to CEO and founder of Strive Stronger and a mental skills coach for uh, leading athletes? It starts back in Dubbo with a 15-year-old skinny kid with a buffon hairdo. Fair bit's changed since then now. Uh, and Secondly, it started walking fat blokes when I was in Hobart, so I'll pull on both of those threads. So the skinny 15-year-old kid, I was good at running and, and I, I wanted to be good at rugby union because my dad was a very good union player. But I went from 5'8 to inside centre to outside centre to wing to full back to on the bench. You, you're following the story. Uh, yeah. As I got older, <laughs> uh, I was fast but not big and so hence football wasn't going to be my vocation, but I could run. But then at Dubbo Little Athletics – I got a real passion coaching some of the younger kids and seeing them develop. So I'd rock up in the under 15s and I was helping coach and saw these kids develop and flourish. And then my coach uh, was a development officer at Little Athletics, John Quinn, and he really instilled upon me this value to help other people be a better version of themselves. And at 15, you don't know that, you know, you just want to get a haircut, get through school. And I wanted to go to the big smoke. So I just found I had this passion at that young age for working with other people. And then I studied sports science, got a scholarship to go down to Tasmania, uh, working at the Tasmanian Institute of Sports as an athlete and also as a coach. And when when I got down to Hobart, I was running, but I realised runners in Australia don't get paid much, so I had to supplement my income. Now, it's called personal training, but back then I was walking fat blokes. And I know this is not politically correct, but it's what (laughs) everyone used to say. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Maisie walked fat blokes. And the fat blokes became less fat. They then became quite energetic. And a couple of them ran businesses, big businesses in Hobart, and one was high up in the government. So I had no idea now. But the 15-year-old skinny legs and buffon hairdo, you know, seven years later, physical activity was a currency for me that created this connection with business owners. And they'd say, Maisie, I'm feeling so much better about myself. I'm obviously fitter. I'm stronger. My kids don't think I'm as much of an asshole. The wife is talking to me. I actually had one client who said, I'm coming to you because my relationship's about to dissolve. I said, how bad is it? He said, she's got the, the second car packed with bags in the back, ready to reverse it out of the garage. So it was dire. And then I realized that physical activity unlocked a lot of psychology. And then this guy got fitter, more connected, and still happily with his wife now. Wow. So those were the two things that then just opened up a whole world of opportunity. But I had no idea. It wasn't design. It was definitely by default. 
So something like psychology isn't something you can learn overnight. Being a young, skinny kid who can run is one thing, but being able to transcend between physical performance and mental performance is another. What journey did you go on in order to be able to coach the psychological side of things? That's a good question, Noel. Um, I had unconscious incompetence. Uh, I was shifting people psychologically but didn't know how. I studied exercise physiology at uni, so that was about the body. And, and I can remember one of my mates, Dan, was going out with a psychologist. And, and I, I'm embarrassed to say, but we're having a conversation with Dan saying, what do you talk about? You know, we're fitness trainers and physiologists. We're about push-ups and carrots. And Lou, psychologist, that's about schema. Like, how, like, what do you talk about? Isn't it ridiculous that we thought exercise physiologists with a body and psychologists with a brain? It's all interrelated. Uh, I realized there was a gap then when I was in my early 30s. So I went back and studied psychology. And what I learned then, some of the stuff I'd been doing intuitively is if you create a connection with somebody, if you are open and genuine and caring, wanting someone to improve, that creates a strong psychological bond. So that stuff I was just doing naturally. What I wasn't doing though, Noel, is I worked in sport and then I had Steve Rickson, who uh, you know, one of our mutual friends, Shane Lee, was the coach at Cricket New South Wales, where I met Shano. And Stumper and, and coaches back then, it was very much my way or the highway. Meaning if you want to get in the New South Wales cricket squad, there's 11 spots and there's one on the bench who's running drinks. And if you don't do it, you know, get out of here. That's how I was coaching. I was coaching my corporate clients like I was in sports conditioning. And that didn't go well with some people because I was too hard. So I had to learn an approach to really engage people and to meet them where they were at. So it was that real combination. It took 15 years, but to work out it's the connection of body and brain. And I mean, 15 years, right? It's a, that's a great success story of things just don't happen overnight. What were the habits that you install within yourself to master your craft? Because you can't, you can't give that quality level of coaching and see those huge levels of advancements in the people that you're, uh, you're working with if you can't do it within yourself, right? So what was Andrew May's tips in order to get him in prime shape to deliver value back to customers? It's interesting, Noel. And I'm sure you've been like this as you evolve. You know, you've got a very successful business. You do your podcast. You've got a busy, active life outside as well. I think I can. I know some stuff now, but I didn't know it at the time. So some of the stuff I did that I didn't know is movement has always been a part of my life. And I know movement has got nothing to do with the way you look, but it's about mitochondria and energy. So I've always moved. So when everyone's saying, you know, get your 10,000 steps, do this, I'm like, duh, I've always done that. So I think I've had an advantage just by moving. And I know that gives my brain an advantage. Another thing, I'm an overt optimist, and that's come from a young age. So I've always looked at the opportunity of trying to get something rather than you know, what can go wrong. I think part of that was my parents and part of that is just my nature as an athlete at the young age. Uh, another big thing for me is being drive. Now, it can start with a chip on the shoulder. A chip on the shoulder will get you going. And I, I just found when I was in Dubbo, and I've still got some great mates from Dubbo, but I, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I was going to go and do a landscape gardening course, and I just thought, no, I want to go and see the big world. So I packed my bags up 17, moved to Sydney and backed myself. And that drive and the opportunities when you meet great people has just led to, you know, I, I didn't plan the career I've got now, but doors opened up and, as I said earlier, I think when you do the right thing, other doors open up uh, and you just find yourself with a set of skills. And I really think it's been the last 10 years I've worked out how to commercialize that. And it's important that sequencing 
And for anyone listening to this, and you said, you know, 15 years to be an overnight success, I think Rip Van Winkle spoke about that. It was two decades. I find with millennials, Noel, and I'm about to get on my hobby horse and some Gen Ys, you know, give me a pill, a potion, a bottle or a potion or, you know, what, what's the app? Like, well, <laughs> the app is work your ass off for 15 or 20 years, do something you're passionate about and then try and pay that forward and help others. But that's not really sexy, right? Uh, people want something that's much quicker. Yeah. That need for instant gratification is a huge issue. We see it across the industry that we're in, across the kind of cyber world. People want to change things overnight they want to buy a widget that's going to solve a problem and likewise you said whether it's an whether it's an app or whether it's a special potion or a powder that's going to give the perception that you can accelerate yourself to an outcome that's the world that we live in today and i think there's a lot of people like yourself striving to get the message across that things do take time and that's okay have you got any any practical advice where you've seen the change in people go from trying to do everything at 100 miles an hour and expecting change to happen overnight versus, like you say, that 15 years of progress. Yeah. One of the rules or one of the lessons I've learned from the military is slowing down in order to speed up. I don't know what you were like when you were young, but I wanted it fast and I wanted it quick and I pushed sometimes and I'm sure I pushed relationships and fractured some friendships because I was so focused on the outcome. I spend as much time now working with successful CEOs and founders like yourself, uh, people in the military, actors, entertainers, athletes, to downregulate. And, and, and someone in their early 20s goes, I'm switching off now, Noel. You know, all your other ones were good. This is shit. You know, it's talking about slowing down. I'm in my 20s. <laughs> uh, but it's going hard. Uh, finding something you're passionate about, I think that really helps, that, that construct of grit with Angela Duckworth. You know, if you're passionate about something and you persevere, you're going to have success. It just does take some time. But I found that the whole recovery piece and slowing down, the reflection gives you meaning. Reflection makes sure you don't burn out. Reflection allows you to bounce back up. And I did learn that in sport because in elite sports I work in, like AFL and cricket and look, at now I work in rugby league and I worked in track and field. The world's best athletes, they train hard, but they recover even harder. And when you're starting a business, that's foreign to you, right? You just do big hours. Or when you're trying to get up your way in a consulting firm or a bank or a telco, but absolute, I'm doubling down on, you know, go hard and recover. So I spend a lot of my time teaching people to switch off and recover, both body and brain. Um, how can we do that better? I remember listening to a podcast not too long ago, actually, which was with uh, LeBron James's performance coach. And that was the biggest thing that he said was the difference between his success and him playing great or really shooting the lights out because he really has a bad game is how much digital downtime he could get, how much darkness, how much stillness, how much sleep. And I just thought that is, you think about it's the hours on court, you think about it's the practice, and yes, that's key, but it's the downtime that enables him to get back up every morning and go bang, go again and go at the highest level. For the listeners, Give us three things that people could do tomorrow which could have a fundamental impact on their performance. Yeah, let's go morning, midday, and evening. And we'll start with evening because that sets everything up. Just switch your mobile phone off 30 minutes before you go to bed. That's it. Sounds so simple. A lot of people will be going, ah, oh, but what do I do before I go to bed? You know, what if I need this? No, no, no. Turn your mobile phone onto silent before you go to bed. Noel, I have done more in Australia for purchasing outdated alarm clocks than anybody else because I just tell people in our corporate programs, 
get an alarm clock in your bedroom, an old one, and put your mobile phone outside. That is a game changer. What happens when you're on your mobile phone before you go to bed, it, it stimulates your sympathetic nervous system and it also stimulates your brain. For recovery, we need two things. Body, we need to get into parasympathetic activation, which is that rest and relaxation. And our brain, hopefully, Noel, now you're in beta where you're thinking, you're, you're looking, what question is coming up? Is he rambling, cutting him off soon? And then we need to go alpha, which is that shift in brainwave patterns. So switching off your phone 30 minutes before you go to bed will do that. Of a morning, the best thing people can do is actually wake the body up after a refreshing night's sleep. So there's a few things of a morning, Noel. One is I want everyone to move for 30 minutes. Oh, I don't like exercise. I can't go to the gym. No, no, just walk for 30 minutes. That could mean getting off the bus or the train and stop earlier, getting a coffee up the road, taking the dog for a walk rather than paying someone to walk it. How crazy is that? So just get 30 minutes of movement every morning. The second thing of a morning, get 10 to 30 minutes of sunlight, direct exposure to your skin without a hat, without sunglasses, and as much skin exposed, but do wear pants, Noel. And then 10 minutes in bright light or 30 minutes on an overcast day will wake your body up. And the third one, anyone who's uh, especially a European descendancy will switch off, but push your caffeine intake back 90 minutes. Don't use coffee first thing of the morning to wake you up. Use that movement, use the sunlight, and then have caffeine. 90 minutes after you've woken up. And I don't know how many people we've done in our programs, no, thousands, but they come back and go, oh my God, what have you done? I'm sleeping better at night because I'm getting off the technology. And of the morning, I'm using all that shit you said, and I actually feel good. Now the kicker, if people do one, two, three, so move for 30 minutes, 10 to 30 minutes of sunlight, don't have caffeine, have a cold shower. So do you ever have cold showers? I do actually, yeah. It's something I've, uh, I, um, I've done for some time. Do I do it consistently? No, consistency's my kind of Achilles heel on these things. I uh, I know a lot of these things to do, but doing them consistently is my challenge. But yeah, I've uh, I've gone through a bit of a program of, of of cold showers in the past, and it definitely definitely helps just wake everything up and uh, and changes the mindsets of the day straight away. Yeah, so do that that stack of a morning. You just get your body and brain ready to work. You've slept properly because you've switched off the night before. And then the third one during the day. Now, Nola, in sport, in tennis, there's 20 seconds between games and our tennis players bounce the balls. The balls come out of the can bouncy. I've tested it. Our cricketers out in the middle of the pitches all around the world do what's called gardening. You know, they get the bat and they, they tap the wicket. They have three-ton rollers that roll the wicket. So there's nothing that the batters do, but it's a way of psychologically downloading and relaxing, ready for the next ball. Or for the tennis players, it's ready for the next point. Now, in rugby league and rugby union, it's called a scrum, where you actually have a break or a line-out in union where there's a break in play. You're thinking, what has this got to do with the corporate world? Well, sport has built in natural periods where athletes downregulate, take stock, and then get ready to play again. We do not do that in the corporate world. The last two and a half years, it's been back-to-back Teams or Zooms meetings. And in the 3 p.m. meeting, your brain is still on the 11 a.m. meeting because you haven't changed channels. So during the middle of the day, I just get people to get away from the technology. And it's only 15 or 20 minutes. Ideally, get outside and take your view, go more of a panoramic view. So look big, look at this scenery. And And I get people to do that in the office every hour as well based on research from Dr. Andrew Huberman, that when we're on a screen, like we're recording now, we get tired, 
digital meetings are twice as cognitively draining as face-to-face. And also our view and our mindset gets very narrow and, and localised. So just getting out in the middle of the day for 15 or 20 minutes, ideally outside, take a big picture view, is a reset. So I gave you fairly detailed answers. We'll summarise. Switch off your mobile phone 30 minutes before you go to bed. Of a morning, warm up the body by getting some movement, getting some sunshine and pushing back caffeine. Cold showers, an extra kicker. And 15 to 20 minutes in the middle of the day, get off your tech, ideally outside and take a wide picture view. It totally changes state. That sounds like something that everyone can do as well. That's the great thing about it. You don't have to have a new skill or anything like that. It's just a little bit of discipline. And before you know it, it becomes a habit and has a has a huge impact on people. And it's great to hear that that's what people keep coming back for to the to the work that you do around performance is those, those taking those simple, meaningful steps every single day that have a big compounding effect after you've done it. We talk, uh, obviously the show is, is the Building Resilience podcast. Hearing what you're saying there about the performance, and you, of course, you are more resilient when your your head's in a better space, you're less digitally connected because you've actually can take things and perceive things better um, and then understanding. And we talk a lot around that kind of resilience aspect of the fact that it really is the way that you perceive things. It's not just about keeping moving and going forward. It's about understanding what's in front of you. Could you give us some stories that you've seen of resilience in the space that you've worked? Because, I mean, you're working with the likes of the Paramount Reels Rugby League Club. You're uh, you're working with other high performance uh, sports people across the globe. Could you give us some sound bites of some resilience where people can get that inspiration? Because not everyone today will be listening around going, "I want to have a culture. I want to do better tomorrow." Some people will be thinking. I'm in a bit of a grind here. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Um, one with some high performers and, and one with myself. Uh, but Parramatta Eels, we need resilience. We got, we got beaten convincingly <laughs> by Panthers in the grand final. So there's resilience. Our players have got resilience now in the offseason, licking their wounds, thinking how do we bounce back next year. I'll start with personal. I think you can study all this stuff, Noel. You can read this stuff. There's so many podcasts around that. that not all as great as yours, but in the biohacking space, when I hear that, what's a hack, my shackles go up because you know, people will go out drinking, taking other substances, work around the clock, push themselves, have shitty relationships, and then they think they can download the app or do the hack, and that's going to make them more resilient. It, it's bullshit. I get in trouble when I say that a bit at conferences sometimes because people, oh, no, I've got this app or hack. I don't know. The basic principles of the building blocks have been around for thousands of years. They're your hacks. And then the other stuff, you might be the icing on the cake. Where I've learned more resilience, Noel, is personally uh, two things for my end. I went through a marriage breakdown nearly 10 years ago. I come from an Irish Catholic background. My mum and dad have been together for 50 years. And, and I built my story as the high performer. You know, I was good at sport, good at business, uh, good at school, good at study, relationships. And then suddenly I went through a marriage breakdown. So I built this whole persona that I'm the performance guy. And then I felt like a failure because if I knew you then and I saw you down the street, I reckon I would have looked away or crossed the road because I, I, I just didn't have the story internally to make sense of my marriage didn't work and I was the performance guy. Like, how are you going to look at me and take me seriously? How wrong I was. I walked around functioning depressed for 18 months and it wasn't wasn't until I I said to my best mate, Mario, I just said something to him uh, and he just said, mate, you're not okay. And I said, yeah, you're right. 
And I'd convinced that I'd studied psychology, Noel, and I'd worked with execs and CEOs. I'd worked with the Australian cricket team. I could sort this shit out myself. And I had to get out of my own ego, away from my own ego. And I saw a wonderful psychologist, Jill McNaught, who helped me understand. <coughs> Jill helped me understand the schema or the story that I'd created. And I had to unpick that, that you know, high performance is not always about winning and high performance is not about being the best. It's also about how you pull yourself back up. And I learned so much from that period. And now, Noel, I'm a better coach. I'm a better partner. I'm a better parent. I'm a better friend. And I think I'm better at running a business because I have compassion that life's not always great. And I hear a lot of this in your wonderful interviews and stories. And, and, I, and I, I so believe in this. It's the challenges we go through that we grow the most. And that's, you know, my business is called Strive Stronger. Strive from the French word of strave, pushing through challenging times and coming out the other side and stronger, you know, physically, psychologically, emotionally, all parts of our lives. So I can honestly, pan of my heart, say, well, going through a marriage breakdown with two young kids was the most challenging part of my life. I learned so much from that when I got away from my own ego and just you know, put my hands up and said, I need support and I'm not okay. And, and I, I had this conversation with a lot of men, mate, who are either going through something similar or who are just you know, stuck and caught up in their own ego as I was, that that vulnerability is not a weakness. It's actually saying, hey, I don't have everything right. And your life goes to a different level when you can learn to embrace that. And you mentioned there about you were doing that with us for 16 months, right? How many people do you, we sadly cross paths with, which has been happening for decades, right? Because not everyone has a Mario to go, hey, mate. Let's yeah. let's check in on this. You know, we we need more Mario's who uh, who uh, who break the camel's back. Yeah, we do. And I'll send this to Mario. I'll give him a hard time. I, I don't think I could do with another Mario in my life, but we could <laughs> replicate him for others. <laughs> and I mean, that is you know a big thing in your recent interview with Gus Warland was about friendship. And I, I love that you and Gus were talking about you know daily just text five mates how you're going, mm. are you okay, and checking in. We don't do that enough. I, I love the the framework of are you okay day, but there's 365 days in the year. Um, a story with an athlete, uh, there's some great ones I've got, but I don't have permission to talk about them in a public domain. Yeah. So I'm going to keep the listeners on, on the seat on that. But one I do have, I, I did a, an interview yesterday with uh, Reed Marnie and Sean Lane from Parramatta just about their development and journey as young men first they're studying and you know, got lives outside and as footballers second. And I'm very proud of Reedy and Laney. And there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald leading into the grand final where Sean Lane spoke openly about how his dad has had depression from a young age and just seeing his dad debilitated at some times, uh, not able to go to family functions and just Laney sort of trying to work out you know, what's wrong with dad and how he's embraced that around mental health and for, you know, a, six foot six, 110, 115 kilogram, you know, body ramming footballer. I am just so proud of him and it, the connection he now has with emotions and with people. And uh, he's studying psychology uh, at Parramatta when I started last year doing the mental skills. You know, there's some players saying, but what the fuck is all this? You know, you just, you know, footy's about passing, kicking a ball and just hitting blokes. <laughs> but, but we know you can train three things in elite sport or elite performance. You can train your craft. You, your skill set. You can train your body and you can train your brain. So when I started 
in year one, Lainey came to me and said, look, I've really got an interest in all this. Um, I, I want to study psychology. And he said, I actually want to do your job down the track. So Lainey now is studying psychology and down the track he wants my job, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, because are they going to listen to the skinny ex-middle distance runner or are they going to listen to the guy that's like, you know, Parramatta's best player this year and just missed out <laughs> on the Kangaroos tour? But I'm really proud of Sean debunking the myth that rugby league players, uh, yobbos, you know, just blokes, uh, not intelligent, not connected. He's everything other than that. And, you know, with his challenge growing up with his dad and the mental health, he's now used that as a real fuel to go out there and, and to normalise that it's okay to not be okay and to inspire young men and women to get in touch with their emotions and feelings. So, yeah, I'm very proud of him. Oh, that's a great couple of stories. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your own personal journey. Andrew, I'll finish with the question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. How does Andrew May define resilience? Resilience is that ability to bounce back and keep going. Now, that's the psychological definition. And it would be remiss of me to just wrap up and do that. That's the easy one. To me, I think resilience is, is about having a, a clear picture of what you want your life to look like for you and your loved ones. And when it's not working, just going down different roads and, and, and not giving up, just trying different things and, and having an open mind, being curious to learn, to grow and develop. Uh, that is my framework of resilience. It's not easy. But then when you push through, we, we all appreciate the stuff that's been hard. You know, when you're handed something or inherit something, uh, it doesn't have as much resonance or meaning. So it's that pushing through and then drawing on all resources and coming out and, and, and then actually going, hey, I, I did this and I deserve this. Andrew, thanks very much for joining the show today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been great to hear some of your personal stories of triumph as well as challenges. Also, your story from Dubbo into high-performance coaching. Thanks very much. Uh, good luck with your own podcast. Strive Stronger in uh, everything that you're doing. Um, we really appreciate your time. Cheers, now. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes. Thank you to Andrew May. We really appreciate your time. Thanks to our sponsor, Securo. If you'd like to know more about me or Securo, you can head to securo.io. Securo. Trust tomorrow. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, why not check out one of our other podcasts? Like Strive Stronger with Andrew May. Listen in as Andrew May explores the latest and greatest in human performance. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or head to afternoonsport.com. Afternoon Sport.